Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. When I had graduated high school, I had big, huge dreams. I, I really wanted to go to college. But there's a big problem for me to go to college is that I didn't have any money. But one of the cool things that I had, I did get a scholarship, an athletic scholarship, was able to find a couple other things to be able to piece them together to get me on campus. So I got to go to college. But when I went to college, I was broke. I didn't have any extra money. And so I was doing all these extra side jobs and doing things that I could and we got to pay for books. You have to pay for pizza on Friday night, right? I mean, I had to try to make some extra money. So I did these little odd jobs. But here's the bigger problem. My university was in north suburbs of Chicago. Now, if you've never been there before, let me just tell you a little bit about the north suburbs of Chicago. Uh, it's a very expensive place to live. And on top of that, there's a lot of money in the neighborhood where my university was. So to give you a little bit of a picture, down the street lived Michael Jordan. So that's the type of neighborhood that we're living in. So as a poor college student, I was always just trying to find something, something I could do to make a few extra dollars. But I found the perfect job. I got a job as a nanny for a family for a junior high boy and a high school boy. Now you're thinking like a nanny, me a nanny, like what's up with that? I'm telling you, this was the sweetest job ever. All I had to do was pick them up from school, get them home, give them some snacks, get them working on their homework, get things ready for when the mom and dad came home. And it was so much fun. I loved this job. I loved this family. But this family had a huge house. And this family had a huge property. And this family loved cars. Now, if you're a car person, you know what I'm talking about when someone's, I say, I love cars versus like, oh, I like cars. They loved cars. They had beautiful, immaculate cars. They had everyday cars. And in fact, they let me use a car when I was there taking care of the kids, which is, you know, probably a car I couldn't even afford now. But nonetheless, they had beautiful cars and they had beautiful sports cars. Some of the best cars I've ever seen in my life. And one day um, I was working out and I was doing some things, getting some work done around the house and I was leaving. And so I had to get a bunch of wood into my car. So I put some wood into the back of my car and I had my window open. The car was kind of sticking uh, the wood was sticking out of the back of the car. And as I was, you know, said goodbye to the family and to the kids, um, I was leaving a little bit early that day. I pulled my car back and then I heard the most sickening sound you could ever hear. The crunching of metal with the breaking of glass. And so I stopped immediately and I stopped my car. And what I turned to realize is that the wood sticking out of my car just went through the window in the side door of their very expensive sports car. There was absolutely nothing worse in my life to that point of that feeling and that moment when I got out of my car, I go out to look and see this car just mangled and the wood sticking through from my car to theirs. So I sat there, I was terrified, I mean, I just sat there weeping and shaking and just so afraid for the family to come home. I, just, I mean, 
if you ever had that type of fear or ever been in that situation where you just know this is not going to end good and you have a lot on the line, like all I'm thinking is I'm done with school. Like I'm going to have to work just to pay back this car. Like I'm going to have to drop out. And I mean, I've obviously lost my job. I'm not going to be able to work here anymore, which means how am I going to pay for books? And, and so my mind is going through all of these things. Like all I could feel at that moment was dread and that everything was over. And so then the mom came home and obviously she saw me upset. She pulled into the driveway and I go to greet her and I'm just trembling and weeping. And I started to tell her the story and I don't even know what I said. It probably came out like this big jumbled mess. But I'm like, I, I broke your car and the wood went through it and I don't know what to do and I don't know what to pay back. But I just was just rambling. And I'll never forget how she responded to me. She looked me square in the eyes. She said, Jason, it's okay. It's okay. And with a smile on her face. Now, I don't know of a whole lot of people who just had their beautiful sports car destroyed by a college student is going to smile and look someone in the face and say, it's okay. But she did. And for me, I, I didn't even know how to, I just kept going. I didn't even know what to say at that moment. And she said this, you have to promise me you're not going to worry about this. You have nothing to worry about. We're going to take care of it. And I, and my thoughts were like, what? Like, how in the world am I free? How in the world am I given this opportunity to get off the hook? Like, there's no way. Like, all, I mean, this is thousands and probably tens of thousands of dollars of damage I just did to their property. And she's looking at me and saying, there's nothing to worry about. Please promise me that you're not going to worry about this. But it was weird because in the, in that flood of freedom. The idea that I get to stay in school, that everything's going to be okay. I didn't lose my job. All of these things, this feeling is so hard, but I felt so guilty still. Like I still felt so much guilt and so much shame that was sitting on, on top of me because I'd done so much damage, but then I was released from it. And that's what grace is. Grace is it's just unexplainable. Like it doesn't make sense that we would offer freedom to somebody when they don't deserve it. We try, I mean, we try to explain it. We try to talk about it, but really the experience of grace is something that tells the story so much cleaner because here I'm pardoned from something I'm completely guilty of. I am at fault. I had caused the problems. I broke the car, but I was free. And so today we're going to explore this beautiful, radiant idea of grace. Grace, thinking that, that, that we, at some point, and I don't know why God loves us so much, but he does and offers us a grace that exceeds even our wildest imaginations. So if you open up your Bibles or your Bible apps, we're going to go back to the passage we were in last week, which is Isaiah chapter 6. But this time we're going to go a bit further. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. And as you're flipping there, in your Bibles or your apps or other things that you're using, um, I want you to give a little bit of a recap of where we were last week. Last week, we looked at this idea that Isaiah gets to come before God and, and he sees him for all of his holiness. He sees him for who he is. He sees him for his wonder. And the first thing he does is he just repents. And that was the whole idea last week. We must repent when we said change our perspective to turn away and to change the way that we're thinking and our perspective, turn away from something towards something. 
And so we looked at how Isaiah, he repents and changes. And then God, in his beautiful mercy, loves on him. And we see his holiness that Isaiah isn't even able to be in his presence. But God, God creates a way. And God is the one who is there who says, no, 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 I love you. And he takes care of him. He touches his lips with the stone. The angel comes and touches. So that's where we were last week in the book of Isaiah. And we also talked about how repentance isn't just something that we do as a one-time thing. We talked about repentance as this ongoing, over and over thing that we come to every single day, turning away from sin, turning towards God. And over and over again, this is a, uh, an action that we're going to be doing throughout our lives. But the guilt is off of us. So what is this thing of grace? Because at our Lenten time, it's a beautiful time for us. We're thinking of Good Friday. We're focusing on Easter. We have all these wonderful things happening. This beautiful Lenten time as we prepare is about repentance, but also it's this beautiful time of us exploring grace. So you've gotten there now to your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to read it to you, um, and we'll begin with verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, and with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined from a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth. He said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. After Isaiah confesses that he's this man of unclean lips, this metaphor for sin, that he lives among sinful people, he's a sinful man, something astounding happens. Isaiah's sins are forgiven and guilt is removed. Immediately after his confession, God sends one of those angels over carrying this tongue. He puts it on his lips and says, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. This is an image of God's unbelievable grace and forgiveness. That God would do that for nothing that Isaiah did. He didn't do anything other than just say, I am a huge mess. I am full, riddled with sin. I am part of the problem. I'm, I'm the issue here. But then God does this beautiful thing with that angel coming over and says, you're just forgiven. Isaiah is saying, I'm not worthy. And God's response of that is to say, you know what? You're forgiven. Beautiful because it's grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Like, why would God do that for Isaiah? Why would God do that for us or anybody? Where's this grace thing coming from? It's this free gift that's given freely, and we don't really deserve it. So what is this idea of grace? Brendan Manning, in his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, gives this, offers us this definition of grace. Grace means that in the middle of our struggle, the referee blows the whistle and announces the end of the game. We're declared winners and sent to the showers. It's over for all the huffing, the puffing, the piety to earn God's favor. It's finished for all the sweat-soaked straining 
to secure self-worth. It's the end of the competitive scrambling to get ahead of others in this game with us. Grace means that God is on our side and thus we are victors regardless of how well we have played the game. Well, this Lenten time is this time that we're preparing for Christ, preparing for his coming and for his death, resurrection at Good Friday, and then uh, resurrection on Easter. It's really, we need to stop and think about grace because if it wasn't for what God did, it was his grace that created everything that provided us the way. All day, every day, God's grace is just upon all of us. The trouble with grace, and there's a problem with it, is that we get into a trap of thinking that we're somehow bargaining with God. Now, depending on your religious backgrounds, whether you used to go to church sometime back in the day when you're younger, maybe you grew up in the church and left for a while, maybe you've been in church your whole life. We all kind of come with different baggage to the story. But there's a very common one. There's a problem that we think if I do X, X amount of good deeds, then God must give me Y, his grace, or Z, his blessings. Think about this. I know everyone, all of our kids right now are doing schoolwork at home. They're like, no more math for me, please, right now. But just think of this equation, right? If I do X, God then must give me Y, his grace, or his blessings. And how many, if we're honest in our life, have really thought that way? Like, if I just do these good things, God's now going to say, okay, well, now I like you. Now I'm going to listen to you. Now I'm going to give you everything you want. And if I just do more good things and I try harder and I do all these things and then God owes me, that's the problem, owes me. Like, because now you're in a bargaining situation with God that all of my good things that I'm working so hard to do, I now turn to God and I say, God, do you see everything that I've done? Do you see all of my good works? Do you see all of this? You owe me. Well, that's not grace. That's an exchange. It's a business exchange. And that's not how it works with our God. And quite honestly, I'm thankful for it. But it's a struggle. And the struggle is, is I want to somehow believe that all of everything I'm doing, all my good works, everything that I say, I could say, God, I've done all these things. You owe me because then I feel like I'm in control. But you and I are not in control. Grace is realizing that as well. Because think of this beautiful piece. If we had to do enough good things to equal God's grace and equal his blessing, we would never get it. We can't do enough. And Isaiah saw that when he saw God in his, the train of his robe and these creatures worshiping him. They're seeing all of this. He didn't say, hey, God, I was really good. I did all these great things. Like now, like, what are you going to give me? He said, oh, my word, I am a huge mess. I'm a sinner. I shouldn't even be here. So think about this. If you think, God, I've been a good person. God, I've done all these things. If, if you believe, if you've earned your way into God's grace, into his mercy, you're not understanding the true gospel. Because the true gospel, the good news of what God has done for us, Good Friday, Easter, the story continuing, is that it is just grace. It is just grace. It's just unmerited favor that he gives to us, blessings that he offers simply because he wants to. We can't do enough good things to make him say, I owe you back. God owes us 
nothing. He just loves us because he wants to. He does. Just loves. Because that's who he is. So when Isaiah's in this moment, and he's starting to see that grace is all one-sided, and that God is doing all these things, there's a struggle that happens within us. Isaiah flips the script, and he says something completely different. He's like, okay, send me. Like, what can I do? Now, it isn't because I've earned it, now you owe me something, God. It's because of God's grace, Isaiah now says, what can I do? Martin Luther, though, one of the, the great forefathers uh, before us, had this had, had struggled with this because he, too, wanted to struggle through the idea of, like, I have to somehow earn something here. Like, I have to be a part of what grace is in. And in his commentary in Galatians, this is what Martin Luther wrote, I myself have been preaching and cultivating through reading and writing for almost 20 years, and I still feel the old clinging dirt of wanting to deal so with God that I may contribute something so that he will give me his grace in exchange for my holiness. Still, I cannot get it into my head that I should surrender myself completely to sheer grace, yet I know that is what I should and must do. Friends, do you struggle at all with the fact that you can't make yourself right with God? I mean, be 100% honest right now, wherever you are. Is it a struggle? Like, to think that you just can't earn something? Look, since the time we've been young and we started going to school and we started to get on the sports teams and we started to learn how the world worked, it, it always came to this. Everything you do is going to equal what you get. Or we call it, quote, unfair. Well, that's not fair. I worked for X, I received Y or Z, right? Like we talked about. And that's the world, how the world works. And sometimes it doesn't work that way. Sometimes we find out it doesn't always work that way. And it's a hard, it's a struggle. But for the most part, if you work hard and get good grades, you're going to get the A, right? But now that's not the economy of God. The economy of God is realize that you can't do it. Repent. Turn, change your perspective. I will create holiness in you by accepting my son, and I see you as holy because of Jesus, and now you're part of my story. Nothing. There's, there's nothing else. So you start to think, well, that's a struggle, like, because I'm losing control. I want control of the story. I want control of the narrative. But that is not the story that God has for us. Our eternal lives are completely free. Salvation is free. Grace is free. God's love is free. It's free for everybody. It's not just free for you. It's free for everybody. Completely paid in full. Completely finished. The cross, what we are going to celebrate here soon at Good Friday, it was finished. The work had been done. And now grace is abounding for all of us through the work Jesus did on the cross. So Isaiah, back to our story. He comes before God. He's realizing all these things. He has this hot coal burned on his lips. Probably not pleasant. We don't know exactly what's going on at this moment, right? But this is a, a picture of purification, of righteousness, saying, I've forgiven you of everything. And so this happens. And his response is this. God calls out, whom shall we send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah says this, I'm right here, send me. We don't talk about this a ton when we study this passage about the fact that Isaiah steps up and says, send me, I'm here. 
And we could think of this through the whole perspective of that chapter of what's been going on in Isaiah, what's been going on with what he's seeing, the holiness of God and and his repentance. But he just says his response is send me. I, I need to be a part of this. Like my only response is to go. Jesus didn't come to earth. He didn't go through all this for us to just sit around and for us to hoard our own way of spirituality. The work of the cross, everything Jesus did, everything that happened was for a purpose and a cause that puts us on mission now with him. You are called to be on mission because of what God has done. Now, I want to be clear. This is different from earning. You're not going to earn God's grace, favor, love. It is a free gift. There is no earning here. We now get to be a part of the mission. We get to be a part. And in our small way, this is what we call, this is a way of worship for us to give back to God everything that he's done for us. Everything that he's done, we give back. We're like, I just want to. I see who you are, God. I want to be in the story. I want to be part of the mission. So here's Isaiah. He witnesses holiness. He repents. He's forgiven by the grace of God. He says, send me. Send me. Our grasp of God's holiness and our sin, his grace of forgiveness should create a response in us. That's servanthood. We should be saying, send me. God has done so much and there's no way I can pay you back, man. So here's the question, how can I help? COVID-19, let's be honest, has changed all of our perspectives. I have seen so much generosity. On Facebook, I see friends sharing with friends and neighbors and strangers. And does somebody have this? And does somebody have why? And I've got some of these things. And people are looking, how can I help? And if you need some food and people are being open-handed and sharing and they are, are willing to say, how can I help? People, on, because of COVID-19, are saying, send me. But I also see on Facebook and the social media, people who aren't being that. I see videos of people hoarding. I see videos and people talk about people taking as much as they can and they're not willing to help. That they say, this is mine. This is the best for me. This is the best for my family. Everything I have is mine. And it's interesting how many people are mad. People are so frustrated that people are hoarding. I mean, how many conversations have you had about toilet paper hoarding in your home or with your friends, right? I mean, we are talking about this idea that why would people hoard all this for themselves? Why aren't we being more generous? What about people? How can I help be be a solution to the problem? People are being so generous and the people who aren't, we are frustrated. You're frustrated. But isn't that the same thing in the response for God? I mean, just think of it from this perspective. God has given us so much. No matter our scenarios right now, God has given so much. Jesus Christ, his son, was literally murdered for you and for me and for all of humanity. Literally murdered. And here we are hoarding. Focus on ourselves. Focus on our lives. Focus on our families. Focus on everything. Focus on our kids' activities. And one of the interesting things for all of us parents who have like a million kids' activities, how all of a sudden we've slowed down and we're like, this is kind of nice. But the activities are going to come back. The schedules are going to come back. And do we just keep hoarding and keep taking all of this for ourselves? Or do we say, God, you have given so much. 
I'm part of your mission. Send me. God has given so much. Send me. We need to change our perspective, friends. We need to change our perspective into Isaiah's. The grace and mercy that he has for us, that we, we say, God, I am here. Send me for whatever you need. I, my life isn't my own. My life is for your mission. But when our perspective is shifted, very easy to look inward, isn't it? When our perspective shifts out, we see out. And just like Isaiah, perspective shifted, he sees out and says, send me. I want to encourage all of you today. The beauty of grace is something that we can never forget. The beauty of grace is something that should be rhythmically into our lives because the beauty of grace helps us change a perspective like nothing else. When you have been shown grace, just like my story in the beginning, with that lovely family, and that lovely mom who said, promise me that you're not going to even worry about this, which could have ended my college life. I was let go and I had nothing I could bring to the table. I didn't have a dime to bring to the table. And she just let me off the hook. It changes your perspective when you experience grace. And I want you to know right now, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, the sins in which you have committed, everything you've done wrong, all the evil that's come out of your mouth, out of, with your hands in your life, because of Jesus Christ, when we call on his name, you're free. You're free, just like Isaiah was. So I want to just do a, share a couple of things of how to get grace rhythmically into your life. How do you keep grace always on the tip of your tongue, always in your heart, always willing to share and give? I have three simple ways for us to do that. First of all, love and speak the gospel daily. The joy of the gospel, what Jesus did for us, the plan of God where he started in Genesis and then we mess everything up and then he created a way for us to have a relationship back with the God of the universe is the beautiful story that you and I need to talk about all the time. It should be rhythmically just in our hearts and in our lives. We should never grow tired of hearing it. Because if you get tired of hearing about what Christ has done and what God has done for humanity, you get so like bored or I've heard that so many times, you don't understand the gospel. Because the gospel is life, not only for us, but for everybody. And when we live and speak the gospel daily, we start to see this is that we have eternal life in the future with God. Yes, but now we have life now and we can speak life. We can speak the joy of what Jesus did because Jesus offers us hope. He offers a purpose. He offers a mission. So speak, love and speak the gospel daily. Secondly, you sin just like everyone else. Yes, you do. And you'll say, yeah, I know I do, but you're going to put yourself on a comparison chart maybe with some other people. Maybe I'm not, I'm only this bad. I'm not that bad, but I'm worse than this person. We put this, that's not how this works. You sin just like everyone else. It's easy for us to start pointing out the failures of others, to see other people's inadequacies, to start to look around and say, well, this person did this and that person said that, and we point at other people so we don't look at ourselves. When we embrace the fact that we sin every single day, that we are sinning just like everyone else, our heart turns to, it goes away from a place of pointing in judgment to a place of compassion and empathy. 
that we now, if we realize and remember that we sin just like everybody else, every single day we know and are filled with the joy that we have of the gospel that's every day fresh on us when we have Christ as our Savior. But when we sin just like everyone else, my finger stops pointing at you. When I remember that, the finger points back at me. Because grace now comes not only over us, when we remember this, we extend grace out to others. Which leads me to my final point. We need to forgive everyone. Forgiveness is an act of living out grace. Let me say that again. Forgiveness is the action, the act, the movement of living out grace. Knowing that people sin, knowing people are going to fail, know people are going to let you down, all these things, when we say you are forgiven, you release them from what they owe. And forgiveness changes perspective. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 4, 32, he says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just in Christ God forgave you. Again, through the lens of perspective, Christ himself has forgiven us all these things. Grace has been pounded on us. We are swimming in a sea of grace. And when we have the audacity to not extend grace, we actually turn away from the beauty that God's given us. Because when we are full of, of the forgiveness of God and grace is just all around us, friends, you have to live and give grace out. And that is with forgiveness. And I know it's hard. I know that. I struggle with it. I am struggling with it. I have struggled with it. All these things. Because when people hurt me, it hurts. But what I do know about forgiveness is that forgiveness is mandated by God. Because he's forgiven us, we must forgive others. And I also know this about forgiveness. Forgiveness releases us. It's an act of freedom that re releases this. And we're able to give people that grace that God has given to us. Forgiveness is so key. So as you are looking to live in a life of grace, think of these things. Love and speak the gospel daily. Live inside of the gospel, knowing what God has done for us. Remember that you sin just like everyone else. Don't point your figure out. Point your figure at yourself. And give grace out to them. And finally, forgive everyone. Forgive. Because God has forgiven us of so much. What does all this do? Changes our perspective. In view of God, of his holiness, his grace, his mercies, everything that he has poured out on us, when God asks, he calls out, who's going to be part of my mission? Who's going to change the world? Who's going to give love where there's hatred? Who's going to give forgiveness when there's, there's something, there's this rift that's there? Who is going to be me in the year 2020 into the world, into our communities? Who is going to ignite a movement of love? Will you say, here I am, send me. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.